Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp, and on the other line, Ben Golliver. What's up, man? Not too much, Andrew. Look outside, cup your ear, and listen closely, because it's the entire city of Boston, the entire state of Massachusetts, the entire region of New England, all checking their iPhones simultaneously, going to their podcast apps, seeing the title to this episode, which is going to (laughs) be Christmas Day Recap, and then selecting the option Mark as played, because they do not want to hear how insufferable you're going to be after the Washington Wizards, the embarrassment of all embarrassments, turned it upside down on Christmas, giving you a gift making you uh, the newborn king. And I think we're about to have what? I would say probably 55 straight minutes of Celtics trash talk coming up with maybe five minutes reserved for the other four games. Or or how do you want to play this one? Let me ask you, did you just refer to the Wizards as the embarrassment of all embarrassments? Of course, Andrew. Come on now. You know you can't go in public (laughs) with these guys. Remember, we've been over this. They didn't have a quality win all year. I mean, they beat Toronto, I think, in Toronto. And unless you want to count those Detroit victories as quality wins, these guys hadn't beaten anybody. And they've been doing a lot of woofing, a lot of wolf season talk. They wear... Look, they wear... You're not going to get any argument from me. They They are clearly the embarrassment of all embarrassments over the last few years. I'm going to take it in stride, though. I'm not here to talk endless amounts of trash and make the same mistake that the Wizards have been making. Uh, And I think the Wizards are, too. They, They were... Pretty level-headed after that Christmas Day game. I don't and buy it. Reasons- I don't buy it at all, Andrew. I think you're at home in your Gucci head-to-toe, gold chains, blinging just <laughs> like your favorite team, Instagramming yourself and all sorts of Merry Christmas poses to celebrate the big victory. I'm calling BS. I don't buy it. Look, there was lots of off-the-record trash talk yesterday. Uh, there's no question about that. But um, I think part of the reason that the Wizards beating the Celtics was not that cool is because I have never really respected this Celtics team. So it wasn't some sort of triumph. It wasn't like taking down LeBron on Christmas Day. The Celtics, yeah, they're just never a team I've taken that seriously. So really, the relief came in not losing to them. Like blowing that lead in the fourth quarter and watching the Celtics win again by just sort of playing smarter basketball and screwing up less would have been absolutely miserable and would have legitimately ruined my Christmas night and uh, and sort of alienated me from some of my in-laws who I was watching the game with. But instead, the Wizards put it together, they closed, and we have more to say about that game. But I want to say this also. This is a strategic opening from you to sort of distract listeners from the real main event on Christmas night, OKC in Houston, after you've been talking trash to me offline about my MVP pick for fucking nine months. (laughs) It's been brutal. And lo and behold, here comes Christmas. Russ does his thing. Uh, Harden fizzles out down the stretch, locked up by Andre Roberson. So what do you have to say for yourself? Well, first of all, I'm going to appreciate that you have that Mike mentality because I think you just said that you hate losing more than you enjoy winning, which, you know, that's <laughs> yeah. good. You're in good company here with the greatest. I appreciate that. In terms of Rockets Thunder, uh, well, if you go back to the last episode, I was explaining to you exactly how Oklahoma City 
uh, could win this game. And if I remember correctly, you very rudely interrupted me and you told me that I was basically dispensing with basic analysis <laughs> and that it was just so was. obvious. You were an and, hour and a half in at that point. I'm sorry. No, I know. But if you had actually listened to what I said, it was, look, the Thunder have turned the corner here a little bit. Russ has pulled himself out of his earlier abyss. No Chris Paul for Houston uh, at Oklahoma City. They get up for the big games. That's a cocktail for Oklahoma City to take care of business. I was impressed by the Thunder's effort, but let's talk Harden because obviously you want to get uh, a few digs in because you know he has one bad game all season so quick. Let's race to, to rip him apart. Here's what I would say. <laughs> if you're going to build two defenders to handle James Harden, in a laboratory, uh-huh. not named Kawhi Leonard, those two defenders would probably be Andre Robertson and Paul George. Uh, Robertson, right. to me, won that matchup, especially late. And Harden, still solid line. He gets his you know, one way or the other, but he was not really clicking how he has been uh, most of the season, all season long, with or without Chris Paul. Would you know Chris have made a difference there in the late game, giving them a little bit more diversification? I think so. But really, I think Harden needs to own this one a little bit because the pressure ramped up, it's clutch situations, and he returned to kind of bad habits that he's been doing a very good job of avoiding. I think he was bothered by Robertson's length and his ability to stick with him off the dribble. I think he was cognizant of Oklahoma City's interior defense, which is pretty solid when Steven Adams is around the basket. And, you know, in some key situations, he's settling, he's forcing, he's chasing foul calls, he's resorting to bad habits. Uh, when the stress was up. You know, that's a bad look. And that kind of stuff has gotten him in trouble previously in the playoffs, whether it's Golden State year after year, they do a great job of uh, of kind of coaxing him into those kinds of mistakes. And and that's what happened. I mean, they were still in position to win that game. Uh, but ultimately, a guy like Robertson, you know, we've credited Avery Bradley. I think I called it like mirroring, you know, where you're basically like on the ball and you know, ball hawking, move for move, fake for fake with a yeah. ball handler. Uh to me, Robertson may do it better than Bradley, especially because he can do it over a wider range of positions. And he's just deep, deep. He's so long that yeah. he's going to be a pain in the ass for almost anybody. But That's, he's just real quick, I'm though, because he's interested. deep. One second, though, because he's real deep in Harden's head, too. I mean, these guys have had a lot of head to head matchups. He's done it. He knows all of Harden's moves. He's probably studies them closer than anyone else besides the Warriors' wings. And he won that matchup. You know, give him credit for that. That is sort of the strength of their team. You know, that defensive pairing uh, on the wings with Adams behind them. Uh, So let's give OKC their credit. All right. But speaking of giving OKC credit, how much do you think they've actually changed? Because it was all clicking in that Rockets game and they've been playing better for about 10 days or two weeks now. But like the even in that Rockets game, they're still are so many possessions where they just sort of like pass it to Mello, Mello isos for six or seven seconds and takes a pull up or repeat with Paul George or Russ goes coast to coast. Like it's still almost entirely ISO ball, except that the shots are falling now. And so I don't want, like, is it just a function of Russ sort of, getting healthier like you and I had talked a couple times earlier this year thinking that maybe Russ is hurt or maybe like the knee is is not 100 percent and now he looks better and everything seems to be working fine but I think think there's still structural issues where you're like huh that's an interesting way to play it like they're just sort of like nonstop iso couple thoughts first of all 
they're healthy. They had all their guys. When they didn't have Adams for a brief stretch, when they didn't have Paul George for a brief stretch, their entire calculus changes, their depth gets stretched, and it's much more difficult for their star players, uh, especially when Westbrook is kind of doing a lot to pull them through that, right? So they definitely had uh, that going for them. But Russ is not shooting 38% from the field anymore. And that's a big deal. I mean, this guy was really, really struggling. And that happens, you know, guys go through waves. Uh, I don't know if you want to call it a slump. I don't know if you wanted to attribute it to injuries uh, or however yeah, you I mean, phrase he was that. Having, like he went three of 17 one night. He like, he was shooting like 20% for a couple of, for like a, a week there. Yeah. So he he's pulled out of that and you would expect that. I mean, Think about how screwed they would have been as a franchise if by the end of the season, Russ was shooting 38% from the field and 30% from three-pointer for the entire season. I mean, that would be right. <laughs> one of the bleakest long-term futures Coming on there the would be. Coming the of that $200 million deal, that'd be a pretty tough pill to swallow. Yeah, and so he's not going down without a fight. So, you know, respect there. Um, I do think that in terms of their offense, they the numbers suggest they've been playing much better here in the last five games. I think you're right to question, is that sustainable? What's the truth about their offense? To me, they're going to settle in uh, you know, somewhere around that like 15 in the league mark by the end of the season. Uh, that's pretty much yeah. what I expected at the start of the year. They've been significantly worse than that, you know, through like the first six or seven weeks. Uh, so there is some room for improvement and their defense is really good. I mean, ultimately for OKC, uh, we keep ch- kind of changing the, the goalposts here because of how much they struggled at the start of the year. This should be a team that's the number four seed or a top four seed in the Western Conference based off their talent. Minnesota's fine, Portland, Utah, uh, none of these teams, Denver, none of these teams are that great. And we've seen that, you know, all those teams have kind of had issues to start the season. Oklahoma City is getting back to where they should be. I still think it's fair to question, even now after this recent turnaround, do they have conference final ceiling? Do they have contender type ceiling? And I think because of some of the issues we mentioned, the depth, uh, the mellow question, the fact that the offense is so hit or miss and, and streaky, uh, I'm still in the category that says, no, they don't have that conference final ceiling. Yeah, I the, the interplay with the Rockets is really interesting because they really are sort of opposites of each other. Like I would be more confident about OKC in a playoff series but night to night in the regular season, I think there's going to be some variance with the Thunder that isn't going to be there for the Rockets because some of the Rockets players, like, you can get away playing Ryan Anderson 30 minutes a game in the regular season because he's the, most of the teams aren't going to be a good, good enough to sort of exploit someone like that. And Eric Gordon has been crazy valuable for them night to night this year. But I'm not as worried about him in a playoff series, whereas like this, just the size that OKC can throw out there against the best teams in the league. Like at some point, I mean, they did it to Golden State like six weeks ago or a month ago. They did it to Houston on Christmas Day. Like this team is going to be really tough to to beat in a seven game series. I'm not saying that they're going to go beat the Warriors. But I think they're they're better than we've given them credit for, and I've allowed you to sort of turn me into more of a skeptic than I than I actually am with the Thunder, because if we go back to the beginning of the season, and really when they made that mellow trade, we came on and did a podcast, and I was like, look, they're going to have enough talent to be in the middle of the West. I don't think this is going to be good enough to beat the Warriors, but they're going to be able to sort of push people. And, and they'll be in that top tier in the West. And it's just going to be sort of an adventure. And that's what it's been. 
It's just a matter of trying to keep a level head through some of this like craziness. And you're right that like it did it the the struggles got more extreme than I think anyone expected in large part because of Russ. And I also think their margin for error though is still very small. I mean this thing could blow up quick. You know, one injury and they're in deep deep trouble and well I've, that's my that's my other question is now that they seem to be playing a little bit better, Westbrook looks great. He silenced the MVP haters like you on Christmas oh, night. Oh, you're going like, to you're going to put him back in the conversation now cuz of one big showcase <laughs> I, game that I you know, happen to watch. Saying, not this year's MVP conversation, but yo, how does this affect the Paul George calculus? Because when you just look at the the straight financials for next year, like it will be so expensive to keep this team together. I'd say at best it's that you've got a 50-50 chance if you're Sam Presti of re-signing Paul George next summer, even if everything goes well this year. So if I were if I were Presti, I would still be looking to move Paul George regardless because they're not going to win the title. But do you think that that calculus starts to change if they do sort of settle into that like fourth seed range? I mean, I think you're now somehow outflanking me on the Paul George trade stuff because to me, the standard is like, can they talk themselves into making a real run, right? And I think at this moment, they can talk themselves into a run. They should win a series if they're the fourth or fifth seed. You know, you look at them against Minnesota, I think almost everybody would pick Oklahoma City in a series if both teams are fully healthy. Um, and th- then they're going to have a fighter's chance in that second round, whoever they grab. Uh, you know, depending on how the seedings work out, right? And <laughs> not, if it's, not really a fighter's chance. Like that's whoever they play in the second round. I I really hope it's Houston. I hope Houston gets the one seed, and the one four matchup is is Houston Oklahoma City because that would be a crazy series. You're I not think, even like, you're not even gonna give them a fighting chance against Houston. No, no, no. I'm saying they're gonna have more than a puncher's chance. Like whoever gets Oklahoma City in the second round is gonna have a tough battle on their hands. Well, this is weird because you're higher on their playoff ceiling than I am. And at the same time, you're higher on the, the thought that they should trade Paul George uh, than I am. I think if they're going to be as good as you think they are, they should not trade Paul George and they should just pray that they can convince him to resign. And then whatever okay. other moves they have to do, if it's, you know, attaching Mello to, you know, multiple first round picks to get rid of his salary, whatever other slash and burn stuff they have to do to keep those two guys together, you do it. I mean, uh, you know, Robertson isn't on a super expensive contract. They've got a few other guys who you can kind of make work around the edges. I think they could come back next season, you know, ditch Mello to save yourself some payroll and, you know, be in okay shape. I think that would be their best case scenario. Uh, but I think even if there is a flight risk, if you make it to the second round, your ability to try to convince Paul George to stay, especially if you, you push a team like Houston in that second round, like you're suggesting, uh, you know, the whole outlook is much better. I think if you're down in that seven or eight range or, you know, fighting to get into the playoff picture like they were for the first, you know, six or seven weeks, that's where you have to trade them. And that was where that argument comes from. And I don't think those days are necessarily done. Like I said, one injury here to anybody, uh, it gets so much more difficult for them. Their margin of error is very, very small. So I don't think the Paul George thing is settled because Russell Westbrook had one good game against James Harden on Christmas. <laughs> It wasn't just one good game. They've been playing well for a little while now, but you're right. Uh, So I guess I have one final thought from that game um, because I went down to the basement and left uh, my wife's family for and watched all three hours of that game. And it's interesting 
watching Houston and Oklahoma City because I think more than anything else, they make me appreciate the Warriors because it's like both of them have roughly half of everything that makes the Warriors unstoppable because like the Thunder, Thunder have great length on defense that will make teams uncomfortable. They have a plus stars in George and Westbrook and like maybe half of a star in, in Carmelo, but then they have none of the ball movement and discipline on offense that makes the Warriors so clinical. Whereas then you go over to the the Rockets, they have the ball movement. Harden is the Steph Curry of Houston and he's putting crazy amounts of pressure on the defense. They take shots in all the right places, but then they just don't have those superstars and they don't have the defense either. And really like, just watching both these teams makes me appreciate how crazy impossible the Warriors must seem because even getting to this point has been like a real achievement for Maury, first of all, in Houston, who's basically sort of like conjure this up out of nothing. And then, I mean, it's a huge win for Presti to have gotten Paul George and to have the Thunder like within striking distance of the top of the West but when you when it really comes down to it, both of them have just like glaring flaws that are gonna be exposed in the playoffs. No, I mean you make a great point. If you took the twelve best players off of those two rosters together, they could definitely give Golden State a real push. Right. You know? <laughs> like, <laughs> like if, that's if what you would need to make it interesting. I mean, I would start uh if I was really gonna do this, I think I'd go Chris Paul, James Harded, Paul George. Uh, Ryan Anderson, Steven Adams, and then the bench would be Westbrook as like the super sub sixth man. Uh, you've got Mello on the bench. You've got Eric Gordon on the bench. Uh, you've got Capella. You've got Robertson as your, you know, like situational defensive stopper. That's a right. squad. I mean, if we can just merge these two teams, we could have a really good uh, playoffs. <laughs> We'd have a killer Western Conference Finals no, if we just but merge two teams. Here's my last point on Houston. We should probably move on. The Chris Paul factor is worth acknowledging because the whole idea behind signing him, and this is talking to their front office guys and just everything around their their game plan here, was that he was the diversity in the fourth quarter, especially for that matchup with San Antonio where they played hard and so smart last year, taking away the three-point shot, contesting everything, trying not to foul, and then just planting somebody in front of the rim and taking away his easy stuff at the basket. Houston's offense didn't know how to respond to that situation, and you saw it break down in very similar fashion against Oklahoma City, where they weren't quite as gimmicky with their defense, but they had the same basic principles, the same game plan to slow hard and down, and frankly, he didn't know what to do, and I think if Paul is on the court in that situation, you're going to have uh, you know, some secondary attacks for him. You're going to have the ball in his hands a little bit more often. It's going to be less pound, pound, pound with Harden. Hopefully you're going to involve and get better flow for the supporting guys instead of just kind of throwing the ball out there to the corner and saying, hey, Ryan Anderson, bail us out here late in the game with a contested three. Uh, I think the Paul factor was big in that crunch time. I know they haven't played a ton together yet so far this season because of injury in those late game situations. Um, But I think that is a real X factor that we still are kind of waiting to see from Houston's standpoint. And that's one reason why I'm still buying their stock here as being, you know, a a significantly higher ceiling than, uh, you know, a team like OKC. Listen, I was bummed because that would have been a great test for Chris Paul and Harden in the fourth quarter. Like, that we just we're only going to see a handful of regular season games where we can really sort of gauge how they work together in in crunch time situations at the end of close games against great teams so 
watching the, the final six minutes of that game, I was like, man, it would be fun to see Chris Paul out there and see what see how it works because we, we really just don't know. Uh, oh, and- yeah. Also, I forgot to beg on their depth, too. I mean, no Mbamute, I believe, with the shoulder. Uh, they had Capella out for a little bit previously. Paul's out. I mean, this is a team that's supposed to go eight deep. That throws everything uh, for a loop when they're missing basically any of those pieces based on how D'Antoni does his rotation. That's a flaw. You know, not only yeah. is Harden in late game a flaw, that approach to rotations and being so reliant upon perfect health to play your best game uh, can be a flaw too. So uh, I think they're a little bit susceptible to some of the same issues that the Thunder are uh, from that standpoint. Yeah, the last thing I would say is that I don't want to ever be Mr. Rockets hater, although I guess that's what I've become at various points over the last two years. Uh, but had had Russ come in and beaten Paul and Harden, I would have been like 200% more insufferable to you on this podcast. But it says a lot about how far the Rockets have come that Chris Paul was out and we still expected Harden to come in there and be able to get the win. Well, let me. Um, and did that's you, just how good Houston's been this year. So you mentioned earlier that you watched the game for three hours. Be honest. Was that the first time you've watched Houston first quarter through From fourth start quarter? To finish. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> oh my <laughs> god. See, it's the thing. You set me up for these debates. Like I have to take it seriously. You don't even watch the games. Unbelievable. Well, look. I'm saying I I haven't seen most teams from start to finish. Like I, I'm usually just hopping around on league pass. I've caught several Rockets fourth quarters and. I've, they're always pretty underwhelming. A lot of, a lot of uh, Eric Gordon like pull up from twenty-seven feet nights. Um, but it's time to talk Wizards Celtics, Ben. We're go- we're running through the Christmas Day games. I think Rockets Thunder and Wiz Celtics were more interesting than Warriors Cavs. So indulge me for ten minutes here. It w- I'm going to begin with an email from uh, from Jim which I found found 10 minutes before we went on here. This is, he says, Dear Andrew and Ben, please stop talking about the Wizards as a top team in the East. They lack chemistry on and off the floor, and they've got a bench full of nobodies and albatrosses. Just admit that the Celtics are better than the Wizards and move on. Restore your credibility. The Celtics are winning games with their best players in and out of the lineup. And as of today, they're four and a half points better than the second best in opponent points per game. Their bench has a bench full of contributors. Who on the Wizards bench is going to win them a game? Your strong link mindset is being flipped and you guys should just move on. I can't waste any more of my workday on your wrong Celtics takes. Just say they are better than the Wiz and might be the best team in the East and move on. Can you do that or do you need to whine and qualify your takes? respectfully jim so uh um, i don't know why i caught a stray there i mean what have i been doing <laughs> it wasn't you it was never you uh that was from like a month ago or six weeks ago when the celtics were in the middle of their november world championship run and uh the wizards were sort of struggling along through another half-assed regular season but it's because of perspectives like that that the Christmas Day game was so sweet and I don't know I have several questions coming out of that game I guess number one for me would be would you rather have Bradley Beal or Kyrie Irving for the next five years 
Well, my first question from that game, and I'll get to your question, was, man, okay. don't don't the Celtics just look really tired? I could barely believe they're they're able to walk up and down the court. I mean, playing all these early season games because of this London <laughs> trip. I mean, it just they look exhausted. I, I mean, it's yes. I thought it was really impressive that they even played that game. You know, it's just been such so, a horrible slog here, early going for them and. For people uh, I, who aren't I, immersed in NBA Twitter, the Celtics beat guys over the last week or so, maybe two weeks, have started seeding the idea that because the Celtics are playing in London, the schedule, the Celtics have currently played more games than any team in the NBA. And so we're really starting to hear a lot about how the, the, the schedule is taking a toll on this team, and that's why they're regressing, and they're actually still good. That just, just things have gotten, like everyone's worn down right now. And make of that what you will. Maybe that is part of it. But I think also when the Celtics were at their peak, you and I were sitting here being like, Al Horford's currently playing like Carl Towns, and is that's not going to last. And Jalen Brown is not like new uh, uh, new version of Paul George. The one guy who still does look really, really solid is Jason Tatum. But I came out of that that game thinking, look, the Celtics are still very good. They're still they they were executing really well down the stretch. And when the Wizards gave up that lead in the fourth quarter, I was pretty freaked out just because like once you give the Celtics a lead in the fourth quarter at home, that crowd really is a factor. And so I was sitting there like Jesus Christ, I cannot believe they're going to give this game away and <laughs> just ruin my night. But uh the one thing I did think coming out of it after after the Wizards sort of took back control of the game, it's like, I'm not scared of that team with Kyrie Irving. And, like, if anything, he's he's a testament to, like, the most successful marketing campaign of, of I've seen in the last, like, five years in the NBA, the idea that Kyrie is a top 10 guy in the league. But I'm just not buying it. I can't do it. He's he's a really solid scorer, but like is not enough to really carry that team. Yeah, I just thought they probably should have had a buy because it's just been so hard. I mean, boy. <laughs> um, no, but in terms of Kyrie versus Bradley Beal and Kyrie in general, I think Kyrie, his stock in terms of the top, top 100 players or top 20 players, however you want to phrase it, has just been all over the map. And you yeah. were not saying that you weren't afraid of him when he was shooting like 85% in the clutch earlier this season, right? I mean, well, you might not so have been all thing. in like his true diehard believers, but he has something that a lot of players don't, and that is the ability to scare opponents when the game is Dude, on the line. Yeah, you're right. On the last podcast, even, I was talking about how there are skills that he has that make him exceptionally valuable, particularly in the last two minutes. So I should qualify this and... and Shout out to Jim. I will whine and qualify my takes regarding the Celtics. I will say that, like, I if if it's the final ninety seconds, I will fear Kyrie Irving. But like, if you if you're talking about a team where he is this is the catalyst for everything, like, you're gonna see more games like you did on Christmas than you will where he's just where he is sort of like powering a top five team in the league like they're just never going to be that great if he's the best player 
Yeah, I mean, in terms of this debate about Kyrie and Bradley Beal, I think those two guys are a lot closer than most people would say. They were pretty okay. close in the top 100, and I, you know, this past year, and I think Beal has outperformed his ranking. I think if I was starting a team from scratch, I'd be very, very tempted to take Bradley Beal because he's a more complete player. I think his defensive ceiling, when he's locked in, uh, is pretty good. You know, the interchangeability, uh, being able to guard on the ball or off, uh, his ability to score, create his own shot. I don't know how he's also, well he's, yeah. he's running an offense, but he can give you a little bit of that. And I think he's also very flexible and he can work with a lot of different guys. I remember not too long ago, I kind of compared him to CJ McCollum in terms of his ability to be a number two guy, but also exert himself as a number one guy. And he likes to do mm-hmm. that in late game situations. I give him credit for that. He's had a great postseason scoring record going back to very, very early in his career. I mean, I remember he was putting up some scoring numbers that like nobody had done since Magic uh, in terms of his age uh, when he was first doing that. So uh, I think he's got fewer flaws. He's probably a little bit easier to build around. I think the question is, is he as dynamic offensively as Kyrie? And I think he's still not there yet. Yeah, he's definitely not there yet. But I, I, like just watching that game on, unfold and watching what Beal was able to get consistently, like the the looks he gets at the rim, the looks he gets on the perimeter. I'm I'm glad you said it because it does it makes me sound like a shameless homer, but he, there's really not that much difference between him and Kyrie. Uh, the the other thing that was interesting to me is I because I was texting with various Celtics friends throughout the day and over the last couple of days, like. Celtics people really do believe in Tatum and would would like deem him untouchable in Anthony Davis talks, which to me is just the craziest shit in the world. Like Jason Tatum is good and and should be really good, but with Kyrie and Hayward in their prime, the idea of not giving him up for Anthony Davis is psychotic to me. Look, Andrew, everyone on that roster is untouchable to the fans until they're <laughs> traded. I mean, come on. Isaiah Thomas was untouchable, and now they're heckling him because uh, he told Rachel Nichols that if he could do it over, uh, he wouldn't have played in last year's playoffs, and they're really angry about it. I mean, come on, man. Don't, don't fall for this stuff. You know, you're getting yourself sucked into that uh, Boston media I monster. Know. I've talked you gotta, to like legitimate NBA people who've been like, yeah, I'm not sure what I would do. And I just yeah. don't understand it. I guess like people are really scared of the Anthony Davis injury, but you uh, could just even 65 games of Anthony Davis is worth it. If he's going to be healthy in the playoffs, Andrew, they're just trying to set the market. They're trying to get the conversation going in a certain direction. So they can completely grift Anthony Davis from Dell Dems, which is always a possibility. You never know what that guy's going to do. Sure. Uh, instead of just stealing him, right? Like they're, you're being, you're being played is what I'm trying to say. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I'm not going to take it too seriously. I'm just saying that those are real conversations that are happening around Boston the other thing that I would I would factor into the Anthony Davis talks, which has sort of gone, gone under the radar, is when I was talking to people this summer about that trade and what the, what the Celtics wanted to do, the idea was that they were going to be able to give them a top five, top ten pick from either the Kings or the Lakers, which will convey either this year or next year, and then also throw in picks from the Grizzlies and Clippers. But given the state of the Grizzlies and uh, the Grizzlies and Clippers, like those two teams 
uh, bo- both of those picks are protected. I think the Clippers is lottery protected, and I believe that the Grizzlies is uh, top eight protected. And both of those teams might be bad enough to keep those picks the next two years, which sort of limits or it, it reduces the the war chest that Danny Ainge is going to have to work with. And um, that that sort of makes it more interesting because I think the Celtics had a lot of eggs in that Anthony Davis trade basket. And uh, we'll see. Uh, that was a, a fun digression down like Danny Ainge tribute way from you. I know <laughs> it's really consuming a lot of your thoughts because you're worried about how good they could get here in two years, you know, dashing your plans for what, like a 2020 Wizards title. One, yeah, final, well, one final thing on Bradley Beal though. Okay. This is about player development. He is a great story. You go back to his second season in the league, he is jacking up an insane number of long twos. He's not getting to the free throw line. Guys like me, when we're doing our little evaluations for the top 100, we're saying, look, Bradley Beal is showing some real promise. He's got a gift for scoring. He's got a nice shooting stroke. He's got a good-sized body to play that position, and he can be really helpful on or off the ball, but he's got to get it through his head that he needs to take better shots. You look at from the second season until now, his free throw uh, attempts per game have doubled. His long two attempts per game have been cut in half. That is player development. That's how you make yourself a better, smarter, more useful offensive player. That's why he should be an all-star this year. Yeah, he's been awesome. And the other, the, the last thing I'll say about Celtics Wizards is that whole game, I didn't just want to beat the Celtics. I wanted to humiliate them. And I kept saying that to people I was watching with who are my wife's family and they were like hey the Wizards are winning and I was like this isn't good enough we need to beat them by double digits this is bullshit and then the Wizards started pissing away the game but I will say looking at the stats afterwards the Celtics hit 48% of their threes the Wizards hit 20% of their threes or 25% of their threes had some of those Wizards shots fallen it would not have been close by the fourth quarter and that's really all I wanted for Christmas was the the Celtics to look completely outclassed in that game, and they did, and uh, it was delightful. So just take your win. You don't have to do these fancy <laughs> stat hypotheticals, just man. Saying, just take it. It was already it 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 could have been much worse, uh, but it was good enough for me. Uh, the last thing we should discuss is Christmas a real holiday? How special is it playing on Christmas Day, and what are your plans for your first Christmas in Boston? Um, I'm excited. Um, I mean, the hoopla on Christmas doesn't really, I don't really get into that. I don't really necessarily think of Christmas as a holiday. So, you know, I'm just happy that I get to be with my family. So looking forward to playing in front of the fans on 25th and, um, you know, just playing against a high level Washington team and going against, uh, you know, great guys in there. And then of course, opening presents and, you know, that whole thing. So what do you think? I mean, I think... And whether or not you, you know, believe in it, you know, or if, if your religion <laughs> says you, you celebrate a different holiday or whatever, I think that there is a wide consensus that if you ranked all of the holidays in terms of which holiday is the most holiday, I think Christmas is number one. And I don't think it's close. I mean, what else would even be in the conversation? I mean, if you're trying to throw Thanksgiving, Halloween, valentine's day i mean these are like hallmark holidays in a lot of cases i think christmas is a pretty legitimate holiday that stretches back thousands of years i think that takes it i'm just really really proud of Kyrie for staying 
amazingly on brand at all times. Uh, like, why do, why do you funny. support this guy? Why do you why do you pander <laughs> to him? You know, it bothers Dude, me because some I of this stuff is just it. nonsense. And you're out here like Paul Ryan, just patting him on the back, you know, saying, "Hey, good job." It doesn't matter as long as we can have some laughs. You know, there is real you consequences know, to what he's saying here, Andrew. I know it's I know it's genuinely upsetting to you. I just can't help it. He cracks me up. He someone. <laughs> Someone compared him to Jaden Smith. Someone compared him to uh, Howard Hughes. Like, he's just the best. Uh, and it's funny because I, I last week, the only year-end thing I did was compile all the crazy shit that Kyrie Irving has said this year. And so I was going through those quotes, and somewhere in the middle of it, I, re- I remembered that Christmas was happening, like, in three days. And I thought, man... I would love to get Kyrie going on Christmas. I bet he has some rants about how religion is a farce and this is all like a capitalist scheme. And he didn't quite go that far, but I'm really glad that he he did have some Christmas takes for us. And I'm sure he has some other holiday takes. I'd be pretty interested to see what he has to say. But um, congrats to Kyrie on winning November. Congrats to the Celtics. I wish them luck as they uh, deal with this slog and make it to that that game in London. And uh, I'm proud of the Wizards. Kelly Oubre came up big. It was great. He's just bamboozling people, though. I mean, he's out here trying to say there's no Christmas. He's got a Christmas sneaker commercial going out. I mean, Look, which is yeah, it, man? I'm not going to even. I'm not going to even let you get started on the on the commercial. I knew that bothered you too. So we'll we'll address that at a later date. But you had an idea for what the NBA should do to fix Christmas Day. So explain it to me, because you were you, you told me beforehand you weren't sure how I was going to react. So lay it yeah. on me. Well, so first of all, the NBA had a good Christmas Day. Now, you can nitpick with like the referee controversies in the Cavaliers game late. No Chris Paul, no Steph Curry. The last game was really rough. I mean, no Lonzo, no Ingram kind of spoiled it. Uh, you mm-hmm. can also question whether a team like the Lakers should even be playing, uh, given how far below 500 they are. I mean, they're just being scheduled because of the market, and that's kind of tough. But overall, the NBA had a really strong Christmas. Uh, you know, the first four games to me were all solid uh, yeah, and, were and competitive. And, you know, it's really fashionable to hate on the NBA's Christmas slate. You know, all these blowouts or bad games or whatever. This year, they pretty much nailed it. But here's what I'm thinking. It's not like I'm going to overhaul it, right? But the Raptors were uh, chirping to Mark Spears uh, about how they were not included on Christmas. And you can make a really strong argument they deserve to be included. Now, somebody like yourself who doesn't watch them, doesn't care, probably going to dismiss those concerns. But they've got stars in their prime, big market. Uh, You know, they've had a track record of winning uh, 50 plus games. They have a case. The Spurs were also not included. They've been included in past years. But still, I mean, that's a premier franchise. They probably should have gotten the benefits of that showcase. But what really ground my gears, where's Giannis? <laughs> where's Giannis on this global holiday where everyone's watching the NBA? Giannis Inc. is left on the sidelines. We can't get the Milwaukee Bucks into one of five games on Christmas. Are you kidding me? So okay, not to go not to go full Kyrie here, but I'm not sure it's technically a global holiday but everybody oh well yeah you go to the you go to the the german beer halls and tell them they don't celebrate christmas you (laughs) you go to scandinavia and tell them they're not all about christmas get out of here everybody everybody knows about christmas my point is this 
even though we have five games on Christmas and that seems like an awful lot and everybody always kind of whines like JJ Reddick about how they don't like to play on Christmas, I think we need more on Christmas. So here's my proposal. I think we need a sixth game or maybe even a seventh game. We need to get basically all of our bases covered. So the, the Bucks should have been on, uh, the Raptors should have been on, the Spurs should have been on, you could pick another team, whoever it might be, and throw them into the mix. Now, we're going to basically flex the Christmas schedule to pick the five best games out of the whole batch and put them still on these you know, primetime national networks, whether it's ABC, uh, TNT, ESPN. They all carried games yesterday. The last two games uh, will just be flexed to NBA TV. They might not be running in their own time slots. They're just going to basically be there as backup. So if we get a situation like you know, Minnesota Lakers where let's be honest, nobody was really watching that game last night. Wouldn't it have been awful nice to have like Bucks Spurs that you could just flex into that last time slot? Boom. Now we've got national TV exposure for our guy Giannis and also a nice tribute to the Spurs. I just think the NBA needs to cover monastery. Exactly. We need our, we need our time in the sun in the monastery. So I just think the NBA should cover its bases a little bit because imagine if Joel Embiid had not played in that first game. You know, you don't have to watch the first game. And he was like a very careful to being a late, you know, very close to being a, a late scratch there with the back tightness. Uh, I mentioned some of the other injury issues affecting these games. The NBA is just banking a little too heavily on uh, perfect health at a random point of the season when it's scheduling these things. Let's just take some of the risk out, you know? Let's make it seven games. We pick the best five, put those on the the premier networks. Uh, You can still have Warriors-Cavs. You can still have these primary matchups, uh, but let's not be totally tied to, uh, you know, whether Lonzo plays. Okay. Yeah, You, you sold me. I think if you add a couple games in there, just in case. So basically you're saying the people at the NBA league office should have looked at the landscape and thought to themselves, you know, on the off chance that Giannis really loses his mind these first couple months of the season and becomes a top five player, shoots into the top five of the the Golliver Mahoney SI top 100, we need to give ourselves the opportunity to flex him into prime time. That's what you're advocating. For sure. I'm just saying have seven matchups. You know, you know which ones are like Rockets, Thunder. Obviously, that's going to be an ABC game. You know, Cavaliers right. uh, versus but Warriors. That's obviously going to be an ABC game. The Wizards definitely would have gotten flexed out of the national TV game had they done that. So I, I like the way we did it this year. Yeah, well, that's the thing is you like it because it was the Wizards, but lots of years it wasn't the Wizards. And you know, you go back and look at the Blazers, you know, they they were on a couple of years during the Brandon Roy era. They've really struggled to kind of get back into the rotation. You've always got certain slots allotted to the Lakers and the Knicks, regardless of how good they are, just because of the prestige of those teams. It does squeeze teams out like the Raptors. They have a legitimate case. And let's say they had made it Celtics Raptors instead of Celtics Wizards, you'd be sitting here whining about how you weren't on Christmas just like the Raptors were. So I just think we should open this up. Let's get like the top 14, you know, best teams uh, spread over seven games. And if they get pushed down to NBA TV because they didn't play well or, you know, Bradley Beal was injured or whatever, at least you're still on Christmas and you can say you played on Christmas. But you know the ultimate Christmas solution, right? What's that? The The perfect nba christmas is to shorten the season and start the season on christmas day no you don't want that no that would be pretty awesome and like we don't necessarily need an eight month regular season and don't speak for me if we were jumping into things on christmas it would be incredible 
don't use this royal we unless you've got a mouse in your pocket. I don't want to hear that we <laughs> because I want an 82-game schedule. I want it starting how it is. I don't want to have some condensed thing where we don't have anything to do all the fall. I mean, come on, man. Don't say that. Okay. All right. Well, look, this this NBA Christmas was better than most. Usually, they're kind of the, the games are a little bit lifeless, uh, but it like Nick Sixers was pretty close and entertaining. Uh, Celtics, Wiz, Thunder, Rockets. I was deep into season two of The Crown by the time the Lakers and uh, Wolves came around. But four out of five is not bad as far as uh, success rate. And the Are fourth you- game, we should finish off with Warriors-Cavs here. Yeah, but you're with me, though. If Giannis is not on next Christmas, it's riot time, right? He's going to be. Yeah, okay. he's going to be, though. They, they, All right. The, the, like, I don't blame anyone at the league for, th- for looking at Milwaukee's team back in August and saying, eh, we're not sure how, how great they're going to be. This could be a little bit depressing and just sort of like hedging their bets with the Wizards instead. No, I hear you. I just want to make sure we get Giannis on that, uh, on that platform. He, That's he all I'm saying. Definitely would have been great. I, like, I loved having Porzingis in the mix, I, but if it had been Bucks sixers I think that game would have been more fun. For sure. So you said Warriors-Cavs? Yeah, uh, let's finish up with Warriors-Cavs. So I look at this game as actually being worth analyzing pretty deeply. Now, some people will say, well, there was no Steph, there was no Isaiah. It kind of was a nice equalizer because you could just see how do the rest of the roster stack up? Where are their matchup concerns? Like who can kind of exploit who? And to me, there was a lot of talk about those two no calls late for LeBron. And just to be clear, I thought both were fouls. I mean, Katie's reaching with his wrong arm across LeBron's body. That should be a foul. And then it looked like there was contact early and then again during the shot on the second one. So I thought those should both be fouls. But to me, Cleveland, they got a lot more to worry about than those no calls, uh, especially when you're looking at the fourth quarter, some really bad defensive breakdowns. And I know that's what people were concerned about earlier in the season. I was not in that panicky group. To me, it really only matters because uh, they get up in these measuring stick games. So how do their personnel match up with Golden State's? And they got some issues. I mean, Dwayne Wade misses a three-pointer. There's a run out uh, for a dunk behind him because he doesn't get back in transition defense. That's a common problem. You know, KD blocks a shot, takes off coast to coast, dunks it, nobody stops the ball. That's a common problem for Cleveland. LeBron, I don't know if he's tired. I don't know if he's just not paying attention, but he lets Draymond go from the top of the key uh, to the rim for a lob, basically untouched uh, for an easy uh, you know, two point basket, you know, late in that game, you know, basically inexcusable. And then the one that the Cleveland was really upset about was, you know, Clay Thompson getting a wide open look at a three on a second chance opportunity because they didn't clear the defensive glass and they forgot to stay, you know, tight on Clay Thompson. That's a lot of breakdowns by a lot of different people in a lot of different ways, all in quick succession. And to me, that's a big time red flag because it's not like they have a lot of other players who are going to go out there and fix those issues. They played the guys they have. And Isaiah is certainly not going to be a solution to those kinds of problems. And on top of all that, Steph's not out there bending the defense, attracting tons of attention and making life easier for his teammates offensively either. So uh, my takeaway from that game was Cleveland, all of their offseason moves, and they did a lot. I mean, they really kind of overhauled that roster in a lot of ways. I don't think it really solved any of their problems. They still have a really tough time defending Durant one-on-one. I mean, Jay Crowder's out there trying. I mean, he is definitely not a solution. Uh, They still have 
uh, issues in terms of who's their best five guys to play defense. They're, you know, their best lineups are those five-out lineups. But don't you think if it were the finals, don't you think that LeBron would switch on to KD in the fourth quarter? Yeah, at times that's not their only problem. As I'm kind of breaking down, and look, LeBron played at a B or B plus level on on Christmas. Yeah. I mean, that certainly was not his best game. If he plays at the A plus finals level that he's capable of, you know, Cleveland probably wins this game. So I'm not saying it's a crisis, but I do think the takeaway from that first game was. Uh, the defense did not show up. They looked like, you know, a bottom five, bottom 10 type defense. That's not going to be good enough. We know that won't be, uh, you know, effective enough to beat Golden State in a playoff series. I think they need to go find some help. You know, I still think they need to be pursuing this midseason upgrades, whether it's buyout stuff, whether it's trade stuff. I think that this game should motivate those kinds of actions. Yeah, it's been an interesting couple of years with the Cavs because, They've had the same problems for the last few seasons and everyone they add like helps their offense, but doesn't really address some of the glaring defensive issues. I'll limit it to the last year and a half. Like last year, Corver was another shooter for LeBron, but had all the same weaknesses that that Cavs team had. And, you know, Channing Fry, sort of the same story. And like, then they, they bring in, Dwayne Wade, who's actually been great sort of manning the second unit, but not known for defense. Um, Jeff Green, certainly not known for defense. So clearly they they think that this can work, but they are not like, and they're not super concerned about the def- defensive lapses. And I don't totally blame them because for me, I had a I had a different take on that game. I mean, like just watching Golden State, it's incredible how much they miss Steph Curry. Like, granted, obviously, it shouldn't be that amazing because Steph is one of the three best players in the league. So take him off the roster, and they are gonna be a lot more beatable. But uh, but they just like the offense has very little flow with him out with him on the sidelines. It like Draymond is sort of playing point guard half the time, which can work because like Draymond's really good, but. They just uh, like if if that matchup happens in the finals and Steph is on the sidelines, like I would pick the Cavs because I just don't think that they would be able to keep it together for seven games. They're going to have Steph Curry for the finals. I mean, what do you you think he's just going to fall off the face <laughs> yeah, of the planet? I mean, like, not, come on now. I'm just saying, like Steph is crazy, crazy valuable to them, and it's it's well, like at the outset, I think Zach. And yet Lowe they still won big, pretty, com- but they still won comfortably. You know, well, I they, mean, they did. I mean, it wasn't the, the final score was not reflective of how close that fourth quarter was. It was, it was back and forth for a while there, um, and like I think if you go back to the the but first Andrew, week, Steph got hurt. What? Come on, man. They started a rookie center. They started a second year wing in Pat McCaw. You know, they're not playing Zaza. They're they're just okay. I mean that was not just no Steph like that was sort of like not a skeleton crew but a diminished version of who they were and like I said when it came when push came to shove it wasn't just LeBron losing the ball out of bounds twice it was a host of defensive breakdowns against a Warriors team that wasn't clicking that only hit 10 threes that really wasn't playing that well offensively like you mentioned they, these guys have reserves in the tank and, and what is Cleveland's answer to those I, I just don't see it they need help yeah, and and for me, it's just remarkable watching how drastically the identity changes for them when Steph leaves. Because like you took Duran out last year, and they were still basically the same team. Uh, but 
and Durant Durant was great on Christmas too. And like, yeah, he was fouling LeBron, but he also did a great job on LeBron for most of that game. So like he deserves credit. But uh, even if you look at at Clay's numbers the past couple of weeks, like he just hasn't been the same because he's not getting the same looks. And uh, it's, it's wild. I don't think they were the same team last year when they took Durant out. I mean, it looked more similar to what we're accustomed to because when we think about the Warriors, we think about Steph's impact. But they miss KD despite winning games pretty well without him last year. And they miss Steph now, even though they're winning a lot of games without him this year. Uh, The biggest difference, though, and I think one way Steph's absence really comes through is for a guy like Kevin Love because he had a field day on Christmas. I mean, he was just A+, plus. I mean, 30-plus points, like 18 rebounds. He was just killing it. But, you know, one thing, without Steph out there, you know, guys like Draymond, Katie, Iguodala, when they're lead ball handlers, those aren't really guys you have to necessarily defend in space as a big guy, yeah, like on switches or whatever. Like, point. your life is so much easier if you're Kevin Love. Like, Steph is making you step out and defend him, what, three, four, five feet behind the three-point line if there's a screen? So Kevin Love is really working hard, and it's harder to keep some of those other guys even on the court. Uh, without uh, Steph, it's so much simpler for uh, for Love. He can focus so much more of his attention and energy uh, on offense. So for the Cavaliers, people who said, well, look, Kevin Love was going great. The five-out lineups working so well for Cleveland. I would say if you put both Thomas and Steph on the court, Love's life is going to be more difficult, not only because he has to guard Steph, but also because Golden State's really going to go after Isaiah and try to get switches involving him. And now all of a sudden, Love's going to have to do even more defensively to cover up for Isaiah too. So uh, just one more thing that I'd be nervous about if I was Cleveland. And I don't have an answer here. It's very possible that their all-offense approach, which you're mentioning, is more than enough for them to just blitz through the Eastern Conference, and then they're just going to bank on LeBron trying to bring them home in the finals. If that's their strategy, that's not the worst thing in the world. Uh, But I do think like there aren't guys out there. You you're not going to be able to find cheap two-way players that they can get for some bullshit first-round pick. Like it's just it's harder to acquire guys who are more valuable. I think that. To, to circle back to what I was talking about with them the last two years is like they're just it, it they're not the, the reason they're getting these aging gunners is because those are the guys who are available for basically nothing so I think that's part of it too yeah no doubt and those guys I mean we've been through it but they really came up short I mean Calderon nothing Jeff Green I think he was just with Kyrie and thinking that Christmas wasn't a holiday so he didn't have to show up <laughs> Uh, I don't I mean, know, though. You, for the record, though, Jeff Green has been surprisingly solid for them, which is probably just a testament to like how great LeBron is. But I think both Jeff Green and Dwayne Wade have been like worlds more successful than anyone would have guessed uh, if you go back two months. There's no question, but there's two different standards here. There's do we worry about Cleveland in general? And because these guys have been solid, the answer is no. Do we worry about Cleveland in a head-to-head matchup with Golden State? Because that's probably going to be the finals. To me, the answer is yes. And he's a problem. Wade was uh, effective in very small moments there with some kind of crafty steals and energy offensive rebounds, but really kind of a net negative in that game. And their point guard situation to me is definitely a question mark. I mean, Jose Calderon is so lucky that Steph sprained his ankle. I mean, I don't know what they w- <laughs> uh, would have been doing in that game otherwise. So, uh, you know, we'll we'll check back on this in a couple of weeks. You know, Martin Luther King Day is, you know, right around the corner and hopefully everybody's right. healthy and we can get a second look at it. But 
to me, the first chapter was, you know, not panic time, but certainly cause for concern. Yeah, it's hard to draw too many real conclusions for me. Um, but the one, the one other thing I wanted to tell you is through half of that Warriors cast game, um, I built my first adult Lego. And nice. I don't think we've ever talked about this on the podcast, but Ben offline has been first of all revealed to me that he is an exp- uh, like deep in the adult lego game uh, i believe it's called lego creators this is a series of landmarks from around the world that you can build and therefore adults not like I, I think what's what's the age cutoff on on creator series well here's the thing i'd say andrew i'm the only one who calls them adult legos because i feel guilty because you know you go okay. into the store or you're like spending this money on amazon like they're legos are for kids okay but adults can also do the legos and depending on you know how you know many pieces you're getting and you know they could raise the age limit to like 16 plus or 12 plus or whatever and so it makes you kind of feel uh, you a know, like you're better about yourself. Exactly. Like not quite as pathetic. And that's why I just sort of rebranded it adult Lego. So I didn't feel like, you know, the, uh, the large adult son meme, you know, that's always on the internet. I, I didn't want to <laughs> yeah. fall into that category. So, uh, that's why I well, came you up with sold that. Me. The point is that you sold me. You've built, I think you built a, a replica of the Capitol. You built a replica of big Ben recently. Yeah. And so, so after a here, series of text messages from Gulliver, Eventually, he convinced me to give adult Legos a try because it's sort of like a, a healthier experience. I guess it's it's a little bit like doing a puzzle, and I, I know a lot of adults who are into puzzles. So Lego, it was my own puzzle on Christmas Day, and it was very funny watching the game and with my in-laws who... All of them were like, wow, like, why aren't you more into this game? As I was sitting there with a Lego and then <laughs> my wife had to sit there and explain to her family members that, yeah, like two days ago, Andrew just came to me and was like, we got to find a store that sells Legos. And I didn't really know why or where this is coming from, but we did. And so I built the, uh, the Eiffel Tower sitting there watching Warriors Cavs. Well, that's a classic. So good pick. I do have some problems with what you just described, though, and I'm going to get into that. But first of all, the reason why I love Legos is because when you travel places, a lot of times, if you go to the gift shops, and I'm a big gift shop guy, obviously, I'm always searching for magnets, but you will actually see the Lego sets at the gift shops, right? And what better, Uh I mean, it's sort of like a three-dimensional magnet, if you think about it, right? And it's one that you get to build yourself, you get the feeling of accomplishment, and you also get the fond memories of going places. So my original Lego strategy was I would only buy the Lego sets of places that I have been. So I've got, uh, like you mentioned, Big Ben, I've got the Eiffel Tower, the Louvre, uh, you know, the list kind of goes on Space Needle and so forth. Wait, you built the Louvre, huh? Oh, yeah. Louvre's not that big. Yeah. Highly recommend it. It's got a nice, you know, the the pyramid, the glass pyramid out front. They've got some great, you know, clear uh, building blocks for you to, to go ahead and, <laughs> and put that together. But here's my problem with what you said, though, because uh, it is very much like puzzle. It's, it's also a lot like Sudoku to me. If you ever play Sudoku on like expert mode, uh, where you really have to like every move counts, you know, and every brick in Lego counts, it really does. Uh, yeah. It's a process that you really every have to... Brick counts. <laughs> 
<laughs> you really have to lock in. So the idea that you were multitasking while watching a game and, and building a Lego set, to me, that's anathema. And what I uh -huh. actually try to do, and I've tried to up the difficulty level for myself a little bit. So I, when I really lock in and focus, you know, there's no phones, no screens. Uh, I will occasionally listen to podcasts or music while I do this. But uh, not only do I try to build the Lego set, Andrew, but I try to have a perfect build. And, and what I mean by that is <laughs> I, I don't want to have to take any of the blocks off of the set after I put them on, right? So it really forces you to, you know, like really dig in block by block, step of instruction by instruction, step by step to not make any mistakes. And then my other rule is no, no party fouls. You can't drop any pieces onto the ground. You have to keep all the pieces on the table during the building process. So it's not like I completely start over while I'm building if I break one of those rules. But if I look back at a certain set and I know I dropped a piece or, you know, I know I had to like redo this one section because I kind of screwed it up. And frankly, some of these are complicated, like Big Ben. You know, it took like 10 hours or something like that. It's 4,000 right. pieces. Uh, I will look over that with sort of a, a, you know, kind of a little bit of shame almost. You know, it's like, well, I did kind of screw up the top there. I had to redo it. So <laughs> what I encourage you, you know, you've done the Eiffel Tower. That's fantastic. I would go ask for the Louvre next. I would do the Louvre and just see if you can do a perfect build. It sharpens the mind just like Sudoku or puzzles. Uh, it's also a great, you know, time for mental reflection and thought. Uh, you know, the mm -hmm. New Year's coming up. It's a good time for resolutions. You can think about your resolutions as you do this. Uh, but everybody out there, I think you should probably email us pictures of your Lego sets, your adult Lego sets, don't you think? I don't know how many emails we'll get. There aren't that many adult Lego builders, although maybe there are. If, you, if you're one of them, please hit us up. And you're right, by the way, Ben, that it is anathema to try and build the Lego and pay attention to the game at the same time. It was difficult, but I will say my strategy was to try and finish it in time for Wizard Celtics so I could really lock in. Oh, and no. so I had a, a, a bit of a clock on my Lego building. No, and, no, uh, no, no. It added some drama to it. So I, it was fun for me. I was like, I was getting very into it and I did not have a perfect build. I definitely had to take some pieces off building like the the scaffolding of the Eiffel. Oh, uh, no. But it was it was great nonetheless. And you're right that it's also it's weirdly meditative. And uh, I don't know. It was, it was it was satisfactory. So this is an official endorsement of Legos um, for adults. <laughs> and it's probably I, I would love to get a Lego sponsorship at some point. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes, some please. of these fancy Legos are pretty fucking expensive. So Lego hit us up and send us some. Well, but uh, look, Andrew, I, I thank you. You can't rush the build, okay? I mean, we can't have any of these like time increments. This isn't like speed chess fun. or whatever. It was fun. It was like speed building. It was good. Okay. I would love to have a sponsorship. I'm serious though. I know there's like some diehard Lego heads. And the reason why I know this, I was in Minnesota. I got into an elevator and this this guy had two huge Lego bags. Uh, he had just gone to the Lego store at the Mall of America and he looked so ashamed and so sheepish that another adult man was standing next to him and he had all these kids toys, which were obviously for him and he could sort of feel me judging him. But the thing was, Andrew, I wasn't judging him. I just wanted to have that conversation. You hey jealous. man, you were thinking I, about jumping him. I love Legos too. But here's the thing though. The one thing with Legos, they're way too into the Star Wars thing and I, I don't like Star Wars and I've almost thought about starting to like Star Wars just so I could build the Star Wars Legos, <laughs> but I, I can't push myself to do that. But the, the point of that was, I know we've got some Open Floor Globe members who are all about the Lego set. So send us your pictures, Open Floor Mail 
at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. Let's just compare some big bends. You know, let's just run it back. That's right. Absolutely. Um, all right. Well, we'll be back Friday. Good talking to you. Quick recap of the of our NBA Christmas. And uh, we'll be back Friday with a, a full batch of mailbag questions. Send us your Celtics and Wizards hate. Um, send us your Westbrook hate, Rockets hate, whatever, man. Five-star reviews on iTunes. Ben Dog Oliver on Instagram. Andrew, I will talk to you. All right, man. Take it easy. Another great edition of Open Floor is in the books. Did you know Locked On has a daily podcast for all 30 NBA teams? If you're a Lakers fan, search Locked On Lakers. A Celtics fan, search Locked On Celtics. Warriors fans, search Locked On Warriors. Yes, all 30 NBA teams have a daily bite-sized podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. Search on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts for Locked On, your favorite team. Or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.